Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, international travelers entering North America are reminded to report visits to farms in regions infected by transboundary diseases like African swine fever. Those travelers are also asked to notify the Swine Health Information Center of incidents where visitors to foreign farms were not diverted for secondary screening. SHIC Executive Director Dr. Paul Sundberg says it's all about preventing the introduction of foreign animal disease. A research scientist with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan is working on a project to determine if too much serotonin is connected to a respiratory disease in feedlot cattle. Most people are familiar with serotonin and its use as a sleep aid in humans. Too much serotonin is believed to be a contributing factor to acute respiratory distress syndrome. Dr. Emily Snyder is now trying to see if there's any similarities between this and AIP in feedlot cattle. AIP causes inflammation in the lining of the lungs, but little is known about the cause and treatments are limited and not effective. After the break, Paul Sundberg. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Dr. Paul Sundberg is the executive director of the Swine Health Information Center, and we're talking about travelers, international travelers, and reporting their activities, especially if they have been in areas where there is a high rate of animal disease. So uh, first of all, uh, Dr. Sundberg, let's talk about risk and why it's important to prevent the introduction of those diseases. It's all about risk, and it's all about uh, relative risk and preventing the introduction of of foreign diseases, uh, transboundary diseases, including African swine fever into the U.S. One of the things that we've learned from watching African swine fever spread around the world is that it is most often spread to different countries by people. It's not a spread from country to country by pigs, but most often by people, either with products or um, it may be that they're unaware that they have African swine fever either in a product or on them or in something that they're traveling with. And this is all about prevention and prevention to keep that virus and other viruses, other diseases out of North America. What are the options for reporting visits to livestock facilities outside the United States and what information should be provided? Well, there's a variety of different ways. Customs and Border Protection has tried to make the entry process as um, seamless and as quick as possible, which is a good thing for travelers. But it's also something that um, we work very closely with them on to understand their processes and encourage them to continue to, um, to check travelers that have indicated that they've been on farms. So, uh, they can, the travelers coming into the U.S. can uh, notify that they've been on a farm either by written form. Um, they can do it verbally to an agent, a customs agent at the airport. Um, they also have airport kiosks now. And a new thing is a mobile passport control app that uh, Customs and Border Protection has offered. So uh, while we support 
their effort to make this as easy and as quick as possible for travelers. We also are working with them to ensure that anything that would offer a risk to the U.S. or North American pork industry is also flagged and followed up on. So once a visit to a livestock facility outside of the United States is reported, um, what is supposed to happen next? Um, what, what are the steps? Well, uh, if there is a notification that, um, that somebody's been on a livestock farm or that there is a, uh, some uh, meat product that they have with them, they will be diverted, and the Customs and Border Protection Agent will divert them to an agriculture specialist there at the airport. And it's a simple process. It's a, let's go into this room and let's talk about what, where you've been, what you've been doing, and or what you're carrying. Um, and so that then gives the Customs and Border Protection Ag Specialist the opportunity to, um, to question the traveler and for the traveler to learn also about the risks and about what's going on. And they decide um, whether or not they, the ne- any next steps need to be taken. Um, Customs and Border Protection also uses what is commonly known as the Beagle Brigade. They have dogs that go through the uh, luggage and even carry-ons of people that are traveling as they're waiting for their luggage in the uh, airport uh, receiving areas. And those dogs are trained to uh, signal if they, uh, if they detect any meat products or other products as well. There are grains, and they do a variety of different things. But our interest is in meat products because African swine fever can be, survive in meat products, in pork products. It's not a food safety issue. So the person very well may not know that there's any issue with it. But if they try to bring it into the country and it is, becomes in contact with the pig, that pig can break with ASF. So those beagles um, signal uh, an agent to come over and do a further inspection in the, um, in the luggage area, and they'll do the same thing. The ag specialist will uh, inspect the luggage and will talk with the, um, talk with the traveler to do an interdiction to, to stop the introduction of, of illegal, and it is illegal, um, meat products coming into the U.S. Why are these procedures considered to be so important? And what are the ramifications of failure to follow these protocols? It's all about prevention. And, uh, of course, prevention of uh, transboundary diseases, including African swine fevers, are, is the pork industry's number one priority. We can do surveillance, we can do detection, we can do response and recovery, but that's all post-introduction. And this is a very key um, piece of the wall that keeps uh, North America safe from African swine fever and other transboundary diseases. If we get ASF in the country, in the U.S., it will cost upwards of $50 billion over 10 years and uh, decimate the pork industry as well as uh, allied industries. So it's an extremely important effort and one that we're thankful that CBP and USDA are on that wall to keep ASF and other transboundary diseases out of the U.S.
How and to whom should any lapses in protocol be reported and what information should be included? Yeah, so we are asking travelers and and, uh, publicly asking travelers to tell us if they aren't diverted to secondary screening or questioned after they've indicated they've been on a farm. Um, We know that happens. It has happened, and we get calls from people that say, hey, I just went through such and such an airport, and and I marked that I was on a farm, and they just passed me straight through. We're working with Customs and Border Protection to up that game. Customs and Border Protection is very interested in those incidences where they, the traveler has not been diverted to secondary screening. Um, and they're asking us, and we're supplying them with the information that they need in order to go back to their agents there at those airports and review the procedures with them to make sure that those agents do as they are supposed to and divert those travelers that indicate uh, farm contact. So what we're asking of the traveler is some simple information. They don't have to include their name. It can be anonymous. If they want to do that, that's fine. But emailing um, this information or even calling me with the information um, Sunberg at swinehealth.org is my email address. And it's simple information such as the country visited, the date and time of return, the airline and the flight, um, the declaration form, written kiosk or verbal, and anything else that they can tell us about that interaction with Customs and Border Protection at the airport. Again, this isn't so much of a of a, uh, an effort to punish or to identify specific agents. It's a collective effort by everybody, the travelers, the pork industry, and Customs and Border Protection together to up the game and make sure that we do everything we can do to prevent introduction of transboundary diseases, including African swine fever. How do we get more information? Well, um, there's two sources of information. One source is um, uh, the swinehealth.org website, uh, swinehealth.org, and that will uh, give people information about this process and and the information that they need to send if they go through this, as well as my email address, my contact information. And so I encourage people to take a look at that and keep that in mind if they're traveling internationally. Another good source of information is Customs and Border Protection just recently put up information on their website, cbp.gov, cbp.gov, on their website, information about their interdictions and how many pieces of meat they find in airports monthly. And uh, And other interdictions that they do to support safety of U.S. agriculture. Um, it's an informative website, and I'd encourage everybody to go on there because it's a, a real-time dashboard that they put up uh, information and report their activities. It's something that we know this isn't a sprint to the end, and we can say, oh, we're finally done. We're, we have prevented African swine fever. This is a, this is a long, long slog marathon, and, and watching CBP's uh, performance is important in evaluating our safety, and this issue of reporting um, uh, the experiences in airports and 
lack of secondary screening is another very important piece of our prevention activities. Any final thoughts? You know, I I will also add that the uh, American Association of Swine Veterinarians, the National Pork Board, and National Pork Producers Council um, are all part of this effort as well. So people can contact any of those pork organizations with, uh, with this information. We compile it and we supply it to Customs and Border Protection um, uh, monthly as needed. And that helps up our game and that helps CBP to make sure that they're responsive. So it's a group effort and it's one that everybody's involved in. Dr. Paul Sundberg is the Executive Director of the Swine Health Information Center. After the break, Dr. Emily Snyder's research on serotonin and its impact on respiratory disease in feedlots. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Serotonin is a chemical that carries messages between nerve cells in the brain and throughout the body. It plays a key role in not only sleep and mood, but in body functions such as digestion, bone health, blood clotting and wound healing. Dr. Emily Snyder's research on serotonin and its connection to respiratory disease in feedlot cattle is going on at the Livestock and Forage Centre of Excellence. So first of all, Dr. Snyder, tell us about your work. Serotonin in humans and cattle and really any other animals has a lot of different effects in different parts of the body. We all kind of know about, you know, its effects within the brain, but we also know that it causes effects in blood vessels, in the GI tract, and the lung, for example. And so my thought is that looking at serotonin levels in cattle and seeing what the effects of serotonin within the the bovine lung play in in a specific disease called atypical interstitial pneumonia. So is there a human form of the disease and what has led you to believe that there is maybe something similar in cattle? In humans, we have something called acute respiratory distress syndrome. And there's a lot of different types of lung inflammatory diseases that fall under that umbrella in human medicine, one of which is AIP. We know that the lesions that we see in human AIP are very, very similar to the lesions that we see in the lungs of cattle with AIP. And so looking at some of the human causes and seeing if those also translate into the bovine side of things is what I'm interested in. Do we know what a normal serotonin level is for a cow and how do you determine that? And is that through blood readings? Yes, um, it is through uh, blood We are trying to establish a normal reference range for feedlot cattle in the late feeding period um, in my study. So we have a general idea of what serotonin levels look like in dairy cows, but we don't know very much about what they look like in beef feedlot animals. And so my goal working at the LFCE this past summer is to establish a normal serotonin reference range in the blood of uh, feedlot cattle in the last 100 days on feed. So tell us about your research and how many animals are involved and how long is this process going to take? Well, we have collected blood several times throughout the summer. Our goal is a total of six different uh, times, three weeks apart over the course of the summer and the last 100 days that these cattle are on feed. We have uh, about 40 steers and 40 heifers that are enrolled. We thought that it was really important that we compare serotonin levels in both genders, just so we know if there is, in fact, a difference there. 
It's a disease that can be very, very common at times. A number of producers that I've spoken with recently have been having some big problems with it over the course of the past month or so. We do tend to see it more in the summer months, and we do tend to see it affecting heifers more. Some years, they might not see any, and other years, they might have quite a lot. The big concern with this particular disease is it's difficult to treat, and the other big concern with it is that it usually strikes cattle in the late feeding period, which means that we've already put in all of the feed, time, um, and economic inputs that those animals are going to see um, over the course of the feeding period, and so we have basically a huge economic loss when it does strike the cattle um, at this phase of the feeding period. Is it contagious, or is it limited to just the one animal itself? It is not contagious. It usually just strikes one animal individually. There might be multiple animals affected by the disease in a pen at a given time point, but it is not contagious. And how long is your research going to last, and where do you see it going after that? We have a project ongoing this summer establishing normal reference ranges. The goal for next summer is to actually work with some feedlots and collect blood from animals that are afflicted with AIP and compare that to a healthy matched pen mate so that we can determine if, in fact, serotonin levels are elevated in those animals that are suffering from AIP. If we find that to be the case, then we have plans in the future to kind of see what kinds of interventions we can utilize for those animals and uh, maybe preventative strategies as well. And I guess just finally, is AIP a disease that's only found in the feedlot situation or can it be found in a cow-calf operation as well? Well, there is a disease similar to AIP that we do occasionally see in the cow-calf operations, but usually that's a different etiology. It has a different cause, oftentimes called fog fever, and it does have similar presentation to the AIP that we see in feedlot cattle. So in some ways it is very similar, but it's not quite the same. And so we know the cause of that one is from certain types of plants um, and certain growth stages of plants that cause it in cattle that are um, in the cow-calf side of things, but um, that has not proven to be the case for feedlot cattle. Dr. Emily Snyder is a research scientist with the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. Here are the top agriculture stories for the week of August 7, 2023. Research out of the University of Alberta is showing that adding silicone to soil can help with the battle against club root. The study, which is the first to explore the effects of silicone on the disease and canola, showed that mixing the element with soil reduced overall club root symptoms in susceptible plants by up to 46%. The experiments revealed the infection was slowed in the formation of galls on the plants was reduced when silicon in the form of water-soluble salt was added to the soil. As a result, the treatment also appeared to improve the height, root length, and plant responses to stresses like drought and extreme heat, even in the presence of the club root pathogen. A three-year pilot project will begin next month to help reduce the administrative burden of accessing the temporary foreign worker program. The recognized employer program will first be made available to agricultural workers this September before a wider rollout in January. The program will be available to those companies who regularly access TFW program and who meet the highest standards for working in living conditions and worker protection. The Canadian Federation of Agriculture 
Agriculture says it applauds the launch as it has been advocating for a simplification of TFW for years. CFA President Keith Curry says the program appears to reduce the administrative burden on those farmers who can demonstrate a history of compliance and years of reliability as employers. The Alberta and federal governments have decided to reopen the 2023 Agri-Stability Program to help producers affected by drought and wildfires since the original April 30th enrollment deadline. Farmers and ranchers can now sign up for Agri-Stability through Alberta's Agriculture Financial Services Corporation until September 29th. Agri-Stability, one of the main business risk management programs under the Sustainable Canadian Agriculture Partnership, compensates margin declines greater than 30 percent at 80 cents for every dollar of decline, which is an increase from the previous 70 cents. Government says payments to producers who sign up through late participation will be reduced by 20 percent to encourage proactive enrollment. The Alberta government has also taken the first step towards having an agro-recovery disaster assistance program. New Farm has announced a large research partnership at Olds College worth a million dollars over five years. The crop protection company says it will establish its first technical development station in Canada at the college, which will include up to 80 acres of land for trials, as well as access to Olds College's expertise and leadership in ag tech research. The partnership establishes a framework for the development and testing of agriculture technologies, plot trials of chemistry and biological technologies, seed genetics, agronomic training, and applied research projects related to smart agricultural technology. Some of the funding will also go towards research done by the college looking at best practices for applying new technologies. The company that builds versatile tractors and Farm King equipment says it's working with the Toronto-based investment bank to find a long-term investment partner. Without sharing many details on why, a press release issued by Bueller Industries says it has engaged Origin Merchant Partners to find an investor who is driven by commitment to preserving the legacy of the iconic versatile and Farm King brands. After consolidating operations and divesting manufacturing assets in Alberta and North Dakota over the past several years, the company says it has solidified its financial foundation by securing sufficient capital for current operational needs. Bueller has also been building higher horsepower tractors for Kubota since announcing a partnership with the Japanese brand in 2019. Bueller employs approximately 800 people in Manitoba with versatile manufacturing facilities in Winnipeg and Farm King operations in Morden. The company says it has built over 100,000 tractors at its plant in Winnipeg since opening more than 50 years ago. Greg and Sarah Stamp are Alberta's outstanding young farmers for 2023. Greg and Sarah, along with Greg's two brothers, Nathan and Matthew, and parents Richard and Marion, operate Stamp Seeds and Stamp Farms in the Bow River Irrigation District. With 5,000 acres under irrigation and 2,000 acres of dryland farming, they produce pedigreed seed, including wheat, barley, spelt, faba beans, peas, lentils, flax, hybrid rye, grass, and hybrid seed canola. Stamp Seeds retail and wholesale seed, contract, grow, and multiply stock seed for their 1,500 customers. Greg and Sarah will compete for the national title of Outstanding Young Farmers in Quebec in November.
If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarland for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarland and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.